Let the children of God say amen again. All praises, honor, and glory go to God the Father, to his Son, Jesus the Christ, the head of the living church, and then to the Holy Spirit who continually comforts us all. God is a good God. He's a great God. He can do anything but fail. He's moved so many mountains out of my way. My God is a wonderful God. I am so blessed that in a time when men are being criticized for taking a knee, that I can come and stand in worship to my God. We want to welcome all of our visitors here on this morning. If perchance you're visiting with us this morning, we want you to know that you are our honored guest. And later on in the services, we will uh, recognize you and we invite you to join us even for more fellowship after the services in our hospitality lounge, which is located across from the auditorium. We want to remind the Gray Road family concerning today uh, being the seasoned saints banquet. Uh, one thing that we do purposefully and intentionally is we honor our seniors. Uh, we honor those who have paved the way so that we may have a way. And we invite you to join us. If you haven't bought tickets, there's still some tickets available, and we'll be at the reception's dining hall after service for that. We want to praise God because the angels in heaven are rejoicing over three people who've given their lives to Jesus Christ. Last week, Mona Sanks gave her life to Christ here. And this morning at 9 o'clock, Brother Curtis and Sister Wanda Reese uh, became a part of the body of Jesus Christ. If you are an attendee of the Wednesday morning class, they've been coming for a number of years. Also to worship service intermittently for a number of years. And today they met Elder Barry at the door and said, we want to join this church. And Brother Barry, being Brother Barry, said, you can't join this church. You got to be at it. And they said, if that's the case, add us right now. We don't want to wait. So God be praised today. We pray that there's one more, two more, even three more who want to do as the three before him have done, and submit to Christ before it's everlastingly too late. Meet me this morning in the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah, chapter number one. Jonah, chapter number one. And for contextual emphasis, we will tabernacle in the first verse. It is our custom to stand for the reading of the scripture. We pray that you will accommodate our request this morning and meet us in Jonah chapter 1, verse number 1. Now, before you think you already know what I'm going to talk about, because you think you're familiar with the text, uh, let me elucidate your understanding. Uh, this text has little to do with a fish. This text has little to do with Jonah. This text has everything to do with God. And God's never-ending mercy. I want us to see mercy. I don't know how far I'm going to get in Jonah 1, Deacon Braden, but I know 
we're going to talk about mercy. In Jonah chapter 1, verse number 1, the text reads as such. The word of the Lord came to and or called Jonah, son of Amittai, and said, notice this, arise and go to the great city of Nineveh and cry, better yet said in Hebrew, go and preach against it. Why? Because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah, that could have been the topic right there. Because some of us got a butt in the way. But Jonah ran away from the presence, King James says, of the Lord. And he headed for Tarshish. He went down, on the line down, to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, underline paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the presence of the Lord. Then the Lord sent and or hurled a great wind on the sea. A violent storm arose that the ship threatened. Somebody missed that. The ship threatened to break up. All of the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had what? Gone down below the deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he'll take notice of us so that we will not perish. If you have some time on this morning, as we study Job in its entirety, I want to study it under the framework of the memoirs of mercy. But today I want to focus on the subtopic under the memoirs of mercy. I want to talk about the inexpedience of disobedience. The inexpedience of disobedience. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Let us go to God in prayer. Dearly kind and gracious Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the God that you are, the God that you are. And the God that we know you will be, shall we continue to stay faithful. Father, at this time we pray for everyone under the sound of my voice. Father, open their minds, their hearts, their spirits, their souls, and yes, even their ears. To hear a word coming straight from you via your manservant. Now as it pertains to your manservant, I am nothing. I am nothing but a blank slate. Father, I can do nothing except it be for you. Father, please open your servant at this time and pour into me your spirit. Let everything said today be what you want it to be. I don't author anything. I don't edit anything. But Lord, help me to communicate everything. Father, this time allow dirt to speak to dirt so we may all clean up our dirty ways. All these things we ask in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. 
the memoirs of mercy, the inexpedience of disobedience. Here, we sit 700 years before Christ and the Bethlehem narrative. And it's in this narrative that we meander into the ministry of Jonah. Jonah's ministry was not in a cathedral, but rather on a mission field. And this mission field was not characterized by tranquility, but rather trouble. Not serenity, but rather savagery. Not peace, but rather problems and petulance. For God had called Jonah to one of the most violent and notorious cities in the world. For his mission was the metropolis of Nineveh. The Ninevites were known not just as capable warriors on the battlefield, but rather brute barbarians bent on bloodshed. For wherever they trod, they conquered. But not only were they bent off of conquer, but they were also talented in torture. The Ninevites, in their sprawl of violence, would often capture their enemy and then commence to tear off their lips, tear off their hands while their victims were still alive. And then after killing them, they would make arts and crafts from their skull and bones. But even though all of this was on record, God here proves that there is no record that cannot be remediated by repentance. Somebody missed your shout at 11.05 in the morning. There's no record that cannot be remediated by repentance. God says, Jonah, your job is to preach so that they, even they, may come to repentance. Jonah's problem was that God's mercy did not mesh with Jonah's message. Jonah was a bigot. Jonah was a nationalist. Jonah didn't care about Nineveh. It was only about the Jewish people. How could you, God, have mercy on them? They don't deserve it. But Jonah, remember, it's your job to preach. Jonah as a prophet, Jonah as a preacher, just like some of us in our self-righteousness, and yes, we got some self-righteous folk up in here. He felt it was his job to dispense justice. But here God proves that the job of the man of God and any other man that God has created, you and I, our job is to bring a message of mercy to all. That's why it's important that Nineveh is in this text. Our job is to bring a message of mercy to all who are here because one day God will dispense a message of justice. Had God told Jonah to solely go and proclaim the destruction, that would have pacified Jonah's God is a punisher theology. But to preach that God has given Nineveh 40 days before they would be overthrown, 
tells the man of God about the mercy of God. Because Jonah already knows that in biblical numerology, that 40 days or 40 anything always speaks to a testing period. And Jonah's thing is, I ain't trying to test them. I'm trying to torment them. I'm not trying to show them mercy. I'm trying to give them murder. And God says, Jonah, know your place. Everybody deserves mercy. Jonah wanted to give them a homily concerning their last chance. While God sets up Jonah to give Nineveh a second chance. And since Jonah could not understand that Nineveh needed mercy, God set up this journey to show why Jonah needed mercy. Thus making him the perfect tool for this ministry. Because church, listen closely. I'm going to tell you something. Church... Some of God's greatest servants are the servants who have first suffered scars. Jonah, I got a ministry for you, but you can't do it yet. You ain't bled enough. Jonah, you can't do it yet. You ain't cried enough. Jonah, you can't do it. You ain't been tested enough. You ain't been tried enough. You ain't had enough trouble. So therefore, since you got a mercy problem, before I send you on a mercy mission, before I send you to the mercy list, I must first make you merciful. And one cannot be full of mercy until they're first full of mess. So therefore, Jonah, I will put you in a mess. To prove you as a mess. And I will give you just a glimpse. I will give to you just a glimpse of what I want to preach through you. And Jonah, Jeremy, Grayrow, whether we want to realize it or not, we just like Nineveh need mercy. God says to Jonah, while you may see their sin, remember, I know your sin. They got hand problems, but you got a heart problem. Now, for my note takers, understand as we study Jonah and we go through it chronologically. Uh, number one, the entire narrative of Jonah first talks about Jonah's mess, then Jonah's mending, then Jonah's mission, then Jonah's mindset. If you want to follow this chapter by chapter, chapter 1, he ran from God. Chapter 2, he ran to God. Chapter 3, he ran with God. Chapter 4, he ran ahead of God. But Jonah, the problem is, right now, the same problem Job had. You're too self-righteous. You need to learn some compassion. You need to learn some humility. You need to learn some mercy. And I know Jonah ain't the only one. But because you decided you want to contemplate mercy instead of disseminate mercy, you've been found disobedient to your God. And look, Jonah 1 gives us practical examples of what happens when we disobey God. Number one, when you disobey God, you'll go places you've never been before. You'll go further than you need to go. You'll pay for what God has already provided. You'll hurt people who know you and who don't know you. 
you'll leave the presence of God and you'll always go down. The storm will always get worse. And if you don't get right with God, you become a victim of what surrounds you. I think I'm ready to preach now. Jonah chapter 1, verse number 1. The text says, The word of the Lord came to or called Jonah, son of Amittai. Remember, the Lord here in Hebrew is Jehovah. He is the existing one. That's going to make sense later on. He came to Jonah. This is distinctive phraseology that we see much in Isaiah and Jeremiah and their major prophets. Jonah is a minor prophet, but here God comes to a minor prophet in a major way. And he calls on him to do something. If I had time for a commercial break, I would tell you, everybody in here has a call on their life. Everybody in here has a call on their life. Whether it be spiritual or secular, everybody has a call on their life. God has marked out a path that he wants you to go on. That is his will. And whenever we walk contrary to his will, we're going to have issues. Jonah, son of Amittai. Now, 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 we know by now, because we are biblical students, amen, that whenever we see names, we got to figure out what names mean. Jonah means a dove. Amittai, his daddy, talks about the truth. Jonah is a dove of truth. But what's important here ain't the fish. What's important here is who Job is and what God does through Job. Doves are significant because doves are homing birds. When you go to a wedding or a funeral of special significance, they will release doves. But when the doves are released, the doves are never lost. Because doves always know their way home. Jonah, I'm using you to give mercy to the Ninevites. Jonah, I'm using you to figure out that you need to yourself be a recipient of mercy. But Jonah, I'm using you as a figure of repentance. I want everybody to repent. Everybody. And repentance is important because repentance is knowing the way home. Repentance is knowing the way home. How many of us are sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore? How many of us are lost even within ourselves? How many of us are confused because we keep doing what we know is displeasing to God and we all are just trying to figure out how to get home, how to get back to God and close to God? The only way to do that is through repentance. Jonah shows us the way home. But in order to find home, one must first get lost. Am I talking to somebody who's been lost? But see, usually lost or to get lost is an accident. Jonah got lost on purpose. Came to the son of Amittai. Verse 2, arise and what? Go to the great city of Nineveh. Get up. This is the only time he's told to get up. 
After this, he precipitously goes down until the captain later on says, get up. Number two, go. Jonah is the first, if not only, the only prophet who's told to go to who he's preaching to. It's one thing to write it down what they ought to do. It's another thing to go preach face to face to folk who you know will cut you, rip off your lips, make arts and crafts with your skull and bones. Go to the great city of Nineveh, meaning great, it's large. Go to Nineveh, it's going to take you a while to get there because in the time of antiquity, this was a month's journey. But when you get to Nineveh, when you get to the lip rippers, don't go in there for no conversation. Don't go in there with no motivational message. Don't go in there with no psychobabble. I want you to preach. And what kind of sermon you want me to take, God? Something that's against it. The word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. Some of us, Dr. Edmondson, are guilty of preaching with a butter knife instead of a sword. <laughs> Go in there and preach when they got problems. I know. Go in there and preach. They're violent. I know. But they need mercy. Oh, if I had time, I, I, I would tell somebody, notice the power of the preached word. That's why Paul tells the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 1.21 that for since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God pleased, God was pleased through what? The foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Why is it important I go over there and preach? Because Jonah, preaching turns the wicked into the wonderful. Preaching turns the brutal into the blessing. Preaching turns the vow to victory. Preaching still works. Go in there and preach against it. Because it's wickedness. Even the king of Nineveh says, my people ain't no good. That's why he's ready to repent before the book is over. They're so wicked that nothing can save them now but the preached word. So I'm going to send a preacher to give them a message of mercy. Verse 3, even though God told Jonah what to do and where to go, even though God placed a call on Jonah's life, Jonah decided to call it off. But Jonah ran. The phraseology here displays that he did this with a total knowledge. And since he ran instead of walked, it's with total vigor and intentionality. The reason for Jonah 1 is in Jonah 3 and 4. He ran because he did not want to see Nineveh get mercy. So God's going to say before Nineveh gets mercy, brother man, you need some mercy. You got some problems. He ran away. 
The King James says, from the presence of the Lord. For some reason, he felt he could leave the face of the Lord. Notice Jonah, God talked to Jonah, but Jonah never talked back to God to verse 8. It's a blessing that even when I don't talk to God, even when we're not talking, he still, he still sees me. And he still cares for me. Jonah ran from the presence of the Lord. Another way to look at the presence of the Lord is he ran from the fellowship of the Lord. Jonah running from God thereby breaks the fellowship between him and God. And that's what sin does. Whenever we sin, we break fellowship with God. Now notice, we never break a relationship with God. God is always our father, we're always his child. That's why you don't have to be rebaptized every time you sin. But there is a broken fellowship that exists. When God told Jonah what to do, and Jonah decides to run away from his calling, he then leaves the presence of God. He then falls into a sinful relationship. And he says, I'm not only am I not going to Nineveh, I'm going to Tarshish. Tarshish is a Phoenician city. Tarshish might have been the furthest destination that a Jew could think of to go. Nineveh was to the east, but Tarshish was to the west. I know Jonah ain't the only one who went the opposite direction of where God wanted them to go. Some of us right now are living in our Tarshish. Nineveh is a 500-mile journey. Tarshish is a 2,000-mile journey. So whenever we decide to go against the Lord, not only will we go the wrong way, but we also gonna go the long way. He said, I'm going to Tarshish. Well, I don't know where Tarshish is. I live in Cincinnati. Tarshish, just notice Tarshish was not where Nineveh was. So whenever I go where God don't want me to go, that's my Tarshish. Whenever I do what God doesn't want me to do, that's my Tarshish. God has called me to something greater, but when I live in a position of something lesser, that is my Tarshish. Living with that man who's not your husband, he done told you for 14 years that he was going to marry you, but he'll rather play house, that's your Tarshish. That wasn't my notes, but it felt good right there. That club you go to every weekend knowing you outgrew the club long time ago. That, that, that's your Tarshish. That one margarita too many you get after work. To ease a pain that can't nothing heal but Jesus. That's your Tarshish. Ah, I got too much more preaching. He headed to Tarshish. Number one, notice he went down to Joppa. Notice the repeated use of the word down. 
It's in verse 3. It's in verse 5. It's in chapter 2, verse 6. He goes down three times before he decides to finally get up and repent. Whenever you walk away from God, you're going to always find yourself going in a downward spiral. Things will not get better as long as you live outside the will of God. Whatever we're doing, if God has not called us to do it, we can't go up. We can only go down. He went down to Joppa. What's important about Joppa? Joppa is the closest seaport to where now Jonah. He went down to Joppa. What's important about Joppa? Joppa is the closest seaport to where now Jonah. He went down to Joppa. What's important about Joppa? Joppa is the closest seaport to where now Jonah. He went down to Joppa. What's important about Joppa? Joppa is the closest seaport to where now Jonah. He went down to Joppa. What's important about Joppa? Joppa is the closest seaport to where now Jonah. He went down to Joppa. What's important about Joppa? Joppa is the closest seaport to where now Jonah. He went down to Joppa. What's important about Joppa? Joppa is the closest seaport to where now Jonah he went down to Joppa what's important about Joppa Joppa is the closest seaport to where now Jonah he went down to Joppa what's important about Joppa Joppa is the closest seaport to where now Jonah he went down to Joppa what's important about Joppa Joppa is the closest seaport to where now Jonah he went down to Joppa. What's important about Joppa? Joppa is the closest seaport to where now Jonah he went down to Joppa. What's important about Joppa? Joppa is the closest seaport to where now Jonah he went down to Joppa. What's important about Joppa? Joppa is the closest seaport to where now Jonah he went down to Joppa. What's important about Joppa? Joppa is the closest seaport to where now Jonah. He went down to Joppa. What's important about Joppa? Joppa is the closest seaport to where now Jonah. He went down to Joppa. What's important about Joppa? Joppa is the closest seaport to where now Jonah. He went down to Joppa. What's important about Joppa? Joppa is the closest seaport to where now Jonah he went down to Joppa. What's important about Joppa? Joppa is the closest seaport to where now Jonah he went down to Joppa. What's important about Joppa? Joppa is the closest seaport to where now Jonah he went down to Joppa. What's important about Joppa? Joppa is 